Alpha Flight you're looking for, because you're in the right place. This is Alpha Pod Flight, the podcast where every episode I am joined by a guest to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. This time, uh, sorry, I should say my name's Gareth A. Hopkins. I always forget to say that, and I always forget to say you should go and give me a five-star review on iTunes. This time I'm joined by Tim. Tim could... No, not Tim. Oh, God. <laughs> I think Tim's your next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John by Sean. <laughs> How are you? It's it's uh, Garrett. Is that right, Garrett? Is that? <laughs> um, yes, we'll go with Gargamel. <laughs> we'll go with Garrett from. <laughs> hey, th- thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Sean Ross. I'm the co-host of Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. Uh, I also co-host a Nerdy Dad show on uh, Nerdy Dad's Network, actually, where. We review pop culture stuff we loved as kids and how discuss how we're going to inflict it on our unsuspecting children. So thanks for having me, man. I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this issue. Uh, yeah, and thank you for coming back. Uh, previously, we talked about Alpha Flight number one, which was John Byrne's first issue of Alpha Flight. Today, we're going to talk about 28, which was his last. Um, it came, it's dated 28th of November, um, and what year, 1985? based on the cover. So I'm reading it in trade, so the, the details are... Yeah, it was 85. Um, it's called Crossover. Um, uh, the creative team was John Byrne on words and pictures with Keith Williams as an inking assist, which I assume means doing backgrounds like he's done previously. Um, Andy Yankus on colours, Rick Parker lettering, Denny O'Ne- uh, Dennis O'Neill sorry, was the editor, and Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. So... Sean, could you give? Let's go through the the issue uh, and work out what happens, and then we'll talk about what we like and don't like about it. So this is a strange issue. This is this is Burns' last issue, and we're right in the heart of the battle with Omega Flight. You know, this is the the group made up of members of Beta and Gamma Flight who had joined forces to murder Guardian in issue twelve. Guardian had seemingly come back, except it was actually Delphine Courtney, the evil Roxon robot secretary, <laughs> which yep. I, I think sounds like it should have its own miniseries. <laughs> um, and she impersonated James McDonald Hudson, infiltrated the team, set them up for an attack. And it is it, it's a storyline that's been building for about seven or eight months. And everybody was really excited at the time when it was coming out because it was the return of Mac, the return of Guardian. It was actually one of the rare times where Alpha Flight was back together as a team. And then, of course, it turned out to be a betrayal. And at the end of the previous issue, the end of 27, the team's on the ropes. I mean, it's it's you know, they've been defeated by Alpha by Omega Flight. And at one point, the Delphine Courtney impersonating Guardian has said, you know, hey, where's Smart Alec? And Shaman's like, oh, he lost his mind. So I shrunk his body and stuck him in my bag of holding. And he's like, oh, okay. And he opens the bag, and it seems to be swallowing the earth. And well, yeah, he turns it I mean, inside just, out, doesn't it? Um, yeah, because he's convinced there's a yeah. secret pocket that you can find by turn. Oh, sorry, <laughs> she is convinced that there's a secret pocket, uh, and then everything goes very abstract um, and uh, very me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, it's funny. I thought about that too when I saw the art. I was like, hey, that looks a little bit like the pages of, of Petrichor that you <laughs> yeah. shared. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool, and, and it, so there's this like huge cliffhanger, and it's this major battle, and it seems like it's going to be a big deal. And Secret Wars two just just bungles the entire thing. So I, I do you I, I 
I can't even believe I'm saying these words. I never thought I'd get to this place in my life. I happen to be a seven, something of an expert on Secret Wars 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. Um, so Secret Wars 2, let me, I'll give a, a brief rundown. Most people fondly remember Secret Wars 1. There was a miniseries in 1984 where Marvel and Mattel did a, a comic toy crossover. The basic gist of the story is this omnipotent creature called the Beyonder spirits the the great heroes and villains of the Earth to a place called Battleworld, sticks them in some really cool play sets, and says, everybody fight. And if you win, you get your heart's desire. And there's a 12-issue maxi series. There are a lot of really seminal moments from Marvel history that occur in it. In the end, of course, the heroes win the day, and they return to Earth. However, the, they, the Beyonder has watched this battle, and his curiosity is piqued. So... Of course, like like all great things, they have to follow it with a sequel. And Secret Wars 2 comes out. And, and Secret Wars 2, again, based on a toy crossover meant for 10-year-old boys in the mid-'80s, it's supposed to be a follow-up to this, you know, basically a miniseries that was effectively dumping out your toy box and letting all your toys fight together. And Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief of Marvel, and also the writer of Secret Wars 1 and 2, instead is apparently having a midlife crisis and decides to chronicle his his breakdown his midlife crisis in the in the pages of Secret Wars 2 it is the most nonsensical and inadvertently but also maybe advertently offensive piece of writing and and on our podcast we literally are covering it issue by issue and and each issue we discover some new horror like it is <laughs> It's like staring at a Hieronymus Bosch painting for a day. And there's like some new layer unfolding in front of you each moment. And so the Beyonder has come to Earth. He is the, the over the course of Secret Wars 2, at least our thesis is, he comes as an infant and he spends the course of the miniseries growing through adulthood until he arrives at effectively his own death. That sounds super interesting. But Jim Shooter manages to suck anything compelling or nuanced out of it and uh, and instead makes it a, a, just a, it's a, a slow car wreck and you turn each page to see how bad it's going to be. So at this point, and, and this is the lowest point in Secret Wars 2, which is saying something. At this point, the Beyonder has decided he wants love. This is Secret Wars 2, issue 4. Right. And he's standing, literally, standing in the apartment of a woman he has just had relations with. Decides, I want love. And she's like, oh, hey, I'm right here. He's like, no, no, not you. And he scans the earth and he's literally asking the woman, hey, who do you think's prettiest? I mean, it's just, it's so awful. And he lands on Allison Blair, the dazzler, not coincidentally because Jim Shooter wrote that series. And he says, okay, that's the woman I love. And he proceeds to, uh, to stalk her. I mean, there's no other, there's just no other explanation. Yeah. I mean, he literally gets out a handbook that says, like, how to stalk and destroy a woman's life in 10 easy days. And it's awful. It's, it's so offensive. It's so hard. It was hard to read in 85. I was 11 when that came out. Yeah. I remember reading that and going, oh, okay, I'm never going to do these things. <laughs> like, like, you know, <laughs> these are unacceptable behaviors from anybody. So he stalks her. And at one point, he decides to show her how committed he is. So he's going to give her a very special ring. And, and, you know, I just, he, he blips over to the Edmonton Mall where Alpha Flight and Omega Flight in the middle of this epic battle, you know, where somebody's impersonating their founder in the heart of their team. And there's all this gravitas in the Alpha Flight book anyway. Yeah. And the Beyonder literally just kind of smacks everybody away. 
he the the shaman's bag is open and the you know nexus of realities are flooding our plane. He reaches in, he grabs Talisman, who seemingly was dying and, and was trapped inside. Pulls yeah, her so out. at the end of twenty seven, she was trapped in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Because Shaman and, can and, save her, which comes into twenty eight. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. It comes into twenty eight, and unfortunately, is just a hangover for the rest of his time in this book. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So she's seemingly trapped. Beyonder just randomly reaches in, grabs her. He's like, "Hey, there's a person in here." Reverses the effects of the, you know, the, the bag had been reversed, but kind of, you know, cements it. And there, the Alpha Flight's standing there, like, "Who are you? What are you? What are you doing here?" And he's, you know, he's like, "Oh, I, I really." And this happens in Secret Wars too. He's like, "Oh, I came for this." And he reaches back into the bag and he pulls out like a plain gold ring. Now, in, in the hands of any other writer, you would think, "Oh, this must be like a super magic special ring." Like, surely this must be something really important. If he couldn't just go to the local mall and buy a, you know, plain gold band, there's got to be something to this. He goes back to Allison Blair in Secret Wars 2, Issue 4, says, hey, I got you this ring. She's like, I don't want it. She smacks it away. It lands in the street, and it's never heard from again. So that is literally – that is that is the MacGuffin that has the Beyonder involved in this really important moment in Alpha Flight history. So uh, what I would strongly suggest to your listeners is if they want a complete picture of this story, do themselves a favor. Do not go read Secret Wars 2 before. <laughs> like, just, just pretend – that this is really bizarre, non-sequential storytelling. Uh, be okay with this mystical being. Basically, react like North Star and be like, "What the hell is happening? Why is this happening? Why are you here?" And leave it at that. Because yeah, see, yeah, your your life is better for well, not having I, read. Secret I've got the third Alpha Flight Classics trade, and in between twenty-seven and twenty-eight, it's it's got the three or two and a half pages of that Beyonder encounter in it. So to bridge the two. So, yeah, if you do want to read just those two and a half pages of Secret Wars 2, which is all I've read, then you can get that trade and it will it will do that for you. And, and what people don't know, or at least some people don't know, is is this is actually one of the first triggering events that's going to send John Byrne out of Marvel. Because Jim Shooter went to all of his writers and he said, OK, Secret Wars 2 is happening. It's crossing over with every book in our line. And instead of saying to the writers, why don't you tell course of these nine issues why don't you tell me the place where it can organically cross over and you make that decision and you have the crossover work the way you want yeah. he just built a spreadsheet and was like okay alpha flight this month crossover and he didn't care what was happening in the story right so burn you know burn gives it the, the same level of respect basically that it deserves and he's like whatever the beyonder shows up saves talisman and that's it yeah, it's 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 a bizarre choice. So so anyway, that I mean, unfortunately, you have to have that background to understand how the flight with Omega Flight ends. And um, just sorry to, to give a, a, a synopsis of more of the issue. And if it seems I'm like I'm disjointed, it's because it's a it's a very disjointed issue. No, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it's called crossover, and I imagine it's not a coincidence that Byrne has called it that. Um, and there's, there's two reasons. One is the Beyond the crossover, and then one is the crossover of creative teams, because mm-hmm. um, this is where he sort of this is him handing it to Mantlo and Mignola for uh, for them to take over. So uh, yeah, where were we? Well, so, so so that's the the part in the mall. I guess we yeah. should. Do you want to cover the Omega Flight part? Uh, yeah. So they're running through the car park. They're running away, and all of Omega Flight are having a go at Courtney because she's fluffed it. And um, they think she's a lousy leader, and 
uh, yeah. And then somebody appears, which scares Courtney to death, who is my favourite, everybody's favourite, Mr. Jeffries. Yeah, I love him too. I'm actually glad to hear you say that because he he rapidly becomes one of my favourites. And Courtney's understandably terrified by him because, as, you know, as we have learned, Mr. Jeffries controls machines. He has some kind of technopathy and he can control metal and he can mold it like clay and he can control machines. And the, the thing I really love about it is, he, you know, he builds this sort of, you know, robot out of a car. I, yeah. I, I guess we could call it a transformer. It, um, yeah, essentially, it is a really ugly transformer. Yeah. Yeah. Not that that name will ever stick or anything will come of it. Um, and it, <laughs> he builds this monster. I'll tell you what, in the way that it's so metally, um, it, it's actually reminiscent of the the movie Transformers. Mm hmm. In the way oh no, it totally is. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like the boxes in the comics, like the or the cartoons. You know, the the boxes talking to boxes. It's uh, it's definitely more of the the Michael Bay version. Yeah, and yeah, and he he builds this thing, and and he's like, yeah, Courtney, you killed James McDonald Hudson. You killed somebody I cared about. Like one of the few people who was nice to me. I, I'm gonna, I, I know that I'm here to get revenge. Yeah. And the members of Omega Flight step up, and he's you know is able to sort of dismiss them quickly with the using his giant transformer, and. In attacking Courtney, Courtney grabs one of Flashback's future selves, pulls it in front of her to defend her, and he's killed, which means he's dead. I mean, at some point in his future, he's going to die, which, I mean, I guess is the case for all of us. I, I mean, <laughs> it's a little bit more immediate, I guess, if he sees that, you know, yeah. in person. But and uh, and then Jeffries just turns on Courtney and and basically causes Courtney to, I, I mean regurgitate herself to death is probably the best way i can describe it yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a it's, it's a great group. scene it's it's good it's um and it's cathartic as well but it mm. is it's violent <laughs> it's unnecessarily violent but it's good it's good because somebody who has been a proper baddie is getting their comeuppance now yeah and i i love the way burn draws it i mean it is it's it's violent but because it's a machine you know, it evokes violence instead of having the same, you know, yeah. visceral feeling if it were actually, a, you know, blood and, and guts. And then I, I think a really important moment happens after this because Madison or, or during this moment, this fight, because Madison goes over to Diamond Lil and they've clearly had a romantic relationship while members of Omega Flight or yeah. excuse me, not Omega Flight, Gamma Flight. Yeah. And he says to her, she's like, why did you even get involved? You don't care about Alpha Flight. And he's like, well, one, James McDonald Hudson was a good guy. He's like, but two... It doesn't make any sense that you and Wildchild were part of the team that murdered him. You guys, you know, you're a little crazy, but you're not bad. Mm. And he's like, you, you were under mental control. And that one throwaway line is, is really important for me personally because in later runs, in fact, in the, around the issue 60, James Hudnell takes over the book yeah. from Bill Mantlo. And Diamond Lil becomes a major player. She and Madison are together as a couple, yeah. and she becomes a member of the team. And there's this nice little love triangle between Lil and, and Madison and Heather. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite. That the Hudnall run is justifiably maligned, but that's actually one of the things I love about it is that love triangle. So it sets up her joining. It sets up Wild Child rejoining as is it Weapon Omega later um, on? Something like that. I've not actually read that far yet. I keep on getting distracted by other volumes or, or just reading other things. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, I will say, I remember those issues somewhat fondly because alpha flight had been in a real tailspin and then Scott Lobdell comes on board with Pat Broderick as artist mm. and it, and, and, and weapon Omega is secretly wild child. There's a little mystery about it. And those issues are, for a little while. Those issues are fun. 
and then it it kind of tail spins again. But but anyway, that little moment sets up a couple future members, which is pretty nice. And then also very conveniently is the end of Omega Flight, and it's the end of that storyline. Yeah. And so that that kind of does it. Um, you know, we're back in the mall. Omega Flight's taken care of. Not that Alpha Flight knows that or is worried about it at the moment. And Talisman freaks out on her father. And she's like, you left me to die. You said you wouldn't. You also. And she she weirdly blames him for the death of her mother. Her mother had a medical issue. Shaman is a surgeon. He was there to save her. He was kind of cocky about being able to save her, but he doesn't. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like she's an adult. She should be able to say, oh, well. Maybe. You know. How old? So she's a teenager here. So she's 17 or 18. So if you take a 17 or 18 year old girl as written by a what, late 30s man. Yeah. So that character will be emotional. And also, it's, it's part of Seamus' backstory, isn't it? That he promised that he would save uh, her mum. And then when he failed, she was taken away. And he went and lived in the woods by himself. Uh, and then she was brought up away from him. So it's, I mean, I don't know if it's justifiable anger. But um, it's certainly canon. She's always been... Uh, she didn't talk to him until issues uh, what was it 17 or 18 when, mm-hmm. when they fight the scrambled eggs in the haunted house <laughs> that is the best description i've ever heard of that. <laughs> they, they literally do yeah yeah <laughs> no i forget that part i forget that that they had been estranged um and actually much of that was his fault because they talk about he goes into a tail he goes into a depression a, a very deep depression when his wife dies and and apparently he completely neglects his duties as a father. So yeah, you're right. I, the, that anger she's expressing is is much deeper and, and runs deeper. And and there's a really cool moment because up to this point, really all Byrne has had her do is you know sort of make shiny lights with her hands, and hmm. she's had some you know there, there's been this hint of like oh she's the most powerful member of Alpha Flight, but we haven't seen it. And she is so angry that she stares at them and she's like go away, and she teleports them all across the country to Vancouver back to their headquarters. And, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice little peek into her power set. Now, unfortunately we're not going to see her again for, I don't know, maybe two years, at least three years. Something like that. Yeah. 37 or 38 is where she comes back. Oh yeah. Briefly. And then she, she doesn't join again until much, much, much later. Oh no, no, no. She comes back as a, as a baddie. She, um, she's responsible for pestilence, the, the character pestilence. Oh, that's right. Yeah, man, that Mantlo run is weird. <laughs> it's proper weird. I really, I really enjoy it. I know I can see why people at the time were reading it and were just like, I just want an Alpha Flight comic. I don't want this weird issue to issue sci-fi bizarreness. But yeah, I really like it. In retrospect, I like it much more. But I, I was definitely also I was really young. And I was used to Burns, you know, clean lines, clean art. And even though even when Burn would have disturbing things happen, it was still drawn by John Byrne. So it's a little bit like watching a horror movie from Walt Disney, right? Like it's like yeah. these horrible things are happening, but it's it's, you know, cartoony enough to make you feel safe. And then when Mantlo and Mignola come on, I mean, it, it's everything's just dirty. And and I mean, I think in his second issue, we meet Scrambler, the mixed up man who can mold flesh. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a big John Carpenter like body horror story. And as an adult, I appreciate it. But as a kid, I was I was completely freaked out. Like, oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. So so Alpha Flight, they're teleported back by Talisman. They're back in Vancouver, and and I mean literally, there should be a page right when they teleport back that says 
part two. Like, like this is, they're just not even, they're not even yeah. connected comics. Yeah. And, you know, Heather's sort of reflecting on what just happened. She walks in and it turns out Roger Box, which is that, it's apparently a, a dirty thing in England. I, I've learned from your podcast. I don't. Uh, oh, um, if you're inclined to, to read <laughs> the name that way, then yes. It, okay. So, um, so which, I, I know you don't have to explain it. I know this is maybe an my, all ages. My daughter's podcast. in the room, so yes. I won't. Yeah, don't explain it. Don't explain it. I, I, it's just funny. I was listening to one of your shows, and I, you know, I, it's, it's clearly a cultural thing that I'm not aware of. And, and you and your co-host were kind of laughing about it. And I'm like, well, now I want to know. I'm like, but I don't want to look it up because I don't necessarily want that in my search history. <laughs> like, I, maybe I should be careful. So anyway, Roger yeah. and Walter Langowski in the actual box armor, they're, they're just going body fishing. I mean, they, they, tapped into the nexus of all realities they literally have like an electromagnetic fishing pole but with the help of madison jeffries they're latching onto a body that they say have has minimal brain waves the word minimal is troubling for me <laughs> like yeah. minimal still means brain waves and walter's trying to pull the body in thinks it's going to be his new physical form they look at, at an outline of it that any five-year-old could have been like oh that's the hulk yeah don't do this they pull the body in. It's the Hulk. He's coming from the Mantlo run of the Hulk where he was in the Nexus of All Realities, smashes the body, smashes Box, and we have our baton passing off in the relay race where the the Mike Mignola, Bill Mantlo team from Hulk is going to take over Alpha Flight, and the John Byrne and John Byrne and John Byrne team of Alpha Flight is going to take over <laughs> the Hulk. And that's, that's, right, that's yeah. the issue. Yeah. yeah, it's a mess. Uh, so, so I think it's a mess. What, do you, I don't, what, what are your thoughts? Because I, I think it's a total mess. I think yeah, uh, it's not an issue, is it? As you said, it's like two parts. Um, there are things I really like about it. So I really like um, that first sequence in the in the car park with Madison Jeffries. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. I think it's really it's really strong. But the whole the whole sequence of events where Heather says, so they get they get back from the wall. They all have they're just about to have a big argument. Shaman's like, no, I've totally destroyed everything. This is all my fault. It's the first time he's actually admitted that anything's his proper fault, even though everything mm-hmm. is always his fault. <laughs> and um, Heather's like, no, I'm going to have a bath. <laughs> I'll see you in two hours. And then she literally has a bath, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the power goes out, and it's all of the rest of Alpha Flight. Considering she's supposed to be the leader, the rest of them are doing this crazy science with a fishing rod, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and um, and then it's it's kind of just six pages of exposition. It's not mm-hmm. comics. It's just describing something which is happening and everybody's saying it's a good idea, apart from Heather, who's the only sceptical person in the room. Even North Star's just like, yeah, this is all right. This is totally <laughs> sensible. Uh, and then, yeah, they pull the Hulk through a... Uh, a mystical portal, which isn't mystical because they've used science to create it. Um, and yeah, so again, I'm reading it in trade, so I at least get to. They've included Hulk three one three, and then oh, okay. they've included Alpha Flight twenty nine. So I get to at least find out what happens with the Hulk. But you're right, as a single issue, it doesn't really work. So yeah. And it's a shame too because, you know, I, I, it's Byrne's idea. Byrne actually, and he says in the back, I don't know if this is included. It is, yeah. His, his oh, okay, editor, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he's got that little letter to about what's about to happen. And he says, and he's said all along, you know, he he did not want to write Alpha Flight. Now, we talked about this, actually, when we covered issue one. Mm. He held off Marvel for about four years. He was like, I don't want to write Alpha Flight. I have no interest. I don't find them be, you know, to be interesting characters. But Marvel kept coming at him, coming at him. And eventually he was like, well, if I don't do it, someone else will. And, and it's also going to make a lot of money. So, you know, and he says in the letter that he thought he'd be on for about a year. And then, he, you know, as he was writing, he felt, found a few more stories, a few more stories. But he's pretty – John Byrne has never been a subtle man. And he's pretty clearly like, yeah, I hated writing this book, and I wanted to jump off. And yeah. I looked around. And, I, and, and the thing that's funny is if you read interviews with him, the reason he wanted to take over the Hulk is because he wanted to return it to its sort of, you know, Kirby, Lee right. roots. That sounds which about is, right, yeah. Exactly, which is all John Byrne ever wants to do. Like, like John Byrne, you know, he looks at an, at an iPhone and is like, "Well, I want to take this back to a, you know, a payphone." Like, every, anything he has, he wants to take back to what it was when he was a child. And so, you know, so he approaches Mantlo, and Mantlo had been on the Hulk for a long time, so he was probably ready for a change. But, yeah. but there was no, there was no exigence. There was no need to cram all of this into one issue. Other than this is John Burns like Irish goodbye, right? Like this is this is his like is that a thing in England? Is that a, a saying? No, I was going to ask. <laughs> I was oh, okay, which I just realized it's not sounds maybe weirdly nationalist uh, in in America. Um, uh, uh, people of Irish descent have a saying, uh, and I, I, I am of Irish descent, and they will they'll they'll talk about um, an Irish goodbye, which is when you're at a party. And, you know, you're having a good time, but it's time to go. Instead of going to each person and saying goodbye and having the goodbye take, you know, 45 minutes and having it be emotional, you just literally duck out while no one's looking. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it's an Irish goodbye. It's just something my family has said. Um, and now that I think about it, it might be horribly national. You know what? So maybe. <laughs> well, no, I'll tell you what. I, I don't know if it is, if it has got any sort of social um, connotations or anything like that. Uh, I do know that it's the way that I prefer to leave a party, so I'm happy with it. <laughs> okay, good, good. So yeah, so instead of instead of saying, "Hey, Mantlo," and, and you know, John Burns got huge cachet at this time. He could have easily said to Jim Shooter, "You know what? I'm going to leave on issue 30." And he could have said to Mantlo, "Hey, two more issues," and, and everything would have been fine. He could have given a proper wrap up to that very compelling Omega Flight arc. Yeah. He could have, you know, really taken his time to build up some action into the whole. Hulk body grab thing, but instead he just—it's he, clear he's just saying, "Yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to cram everything into this." And you're right; it's not a proper narrative on any level, and it, it really, um, in a very real way. And maybe this is something he discussed with Mantlo, but but John Byrne doesn't strike me as the best collaborator. He just breaks all his toys before he goes, mm. and you know he leaves Mantlo. With a lot, a lot of broken pieces, which you know maybe is more interesting narratively, but but yeah, it's it's a it's a weird way to to end what in retrospect becomes sort of a classic run. Yeah, um, and it's because uh, Mantlo takes a while to sort of recover. I think it takes him yeah. a while to get to where he wants, and then where he goes is where no one else wanted him to go with it. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's interesting because the very next issue. As I was prepping for today, I read it again. And I hadn't read it in a while. Yeah. And and he and I won't you know I know you're gonna have somebody on it, so I won't spoil it. But but effectively, Mantlo tries to put every all the pieces back together very quickly, so then he can start from scratch. So you yeah. can tell he didn't necessarily want Byrne to do what he did. But but if you look at the end of it, I mean, Sean, Talisman's gone. 
Shaman is completely broken spiritually. Yeah. It it appears as if Walter Langowski is dead. He's he's been sent into the you know the nether realm. Mm. Aurora's devastated by Walter's death, seeming death. Weirdly, Northstar is going to be as well, though that feels a little forced. And, and the team is just it's really the only members of the team who are in any sort of place of stability are Heather and Puck. Yeah. And so it's it's a very it's it's a really interesting way to leave. You know, to say, well, instead of setting the next guy up, I'm going to leave a really big mess for him to clean up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if... Because in the letter, he says that um, uh, Bill Mantlo's got... Uh, Bill has created a humdinger of a plot for that issue. So they must have had some sort of conversation about what's going to happen next. Although the humdinger of the plot is actually just him carrying on uh, John Byrne's story. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, so that's yeah, that's that. So uh, John Byrne has left, and uh, but so the other thing that he has left in place, which wasn't there before, was Madison Jeffries as a member of Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. He's never he doesn't t- he d- he's not a, f- a like sort of paid in member for a while, but he's now in the same room as them, and. Yeah, and this is where um, he was introduced a few episode issues back, sorry, with Roger when they redesigned the box robot. Um, but in this, we get he's always been very mysterious, uh, and it's that mystery of his character which I really like. So he sort of walks into the car park. Um, we, it's easy to forget that everybody who is in Omega Flight knew each other from Beta and Gamma flights. So they've all got a shared history, um, especially uh, Lil and Madison. Um, and they, uh, there's a few, they, they allude to their relationship a few times. Um, but he just does this really cool sort of like hands in pockets control of it. He's just a really cool character. I mean, he doesn't look cool. He's got a bowl haircut. His face is all a bit <laughs> scraggly and he's, he's, he's um, He's obviously seen some things because uh, he was in the Vietnam War. We find out in a later issue. Um, so uh, he says at one point that um, uh, he's been digging ditches. So he's been living sort of, uh, sort of almost a hobo life until now. Uh, and there's just something really I, <laughs> is beguiling the right word. Beguiling seems like. Maybe I'm yeah. actually in love with him. Um, it's not. <laughs> in, in, you might be looking for ensorcelled. That might be. <laughs> if you're really, yeah. if your feelings are of a certain depth, <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, man. I, you know, if you want to start a Madison Jeffries man crush podcast, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I mean, this podcast practically is already. Um, yeah. So I really like the, the the time that he spends on the page. I mean, one page it doing the the whole fishing rod episode is a. a practically a whole page of him and Heather talking and he is mansplaining to her, which I mean, it's in character, but um, that whole page is just there so that there is a page 20. <laughs> um, yes. There's no other reason for it because they just recover everything they've done already. Um, but yeah, so that's something that Byrne has left. Um, something that can be built on, which I think uh, Mantlo does um, by introducing uh, scramble, as he said, a few in a few issues, and then builds up this relationship with Heather as he goes. So yeah, so there's that at least. So was there anything else that you liked about this? 
Well, I, yeah, I do love, I, I, I agree. I love the way that Madison Jeffries walks on. He has, he has sort of a eighties Wolverine coolness to him where it's like, yeah, like you said, like he's seen some life, he's lived some life and he, he's clearly a man not to trifle with. And he's a man who just doesn't care about the things that other people care about. Cause at one point Courtney's like, I can make you rich. And he just kind of laughs like, Oh yeah, you, you got the wrong guy. If that's the route you're taking. And it's interesting because his evolution as a character, he'll he'll eventually become the most popular member of Alpha Flight, you know, when when he eventually, you know, takes on another form. Um, But it's interesting because I had forgotten that Byrne introduced him as a much more grizzled, you know, man uh, and and, and actually physically much more grizzled because later on artists like Jim Lee and, and, you know, some of the people who will come along, June Brigman. They're going to make him classically handsome, you know, the yeah. sort of classic he seems superhero. seems to get younger yes. as, as time passes in the Marvel Universe. So um, somebody recommended me to read X Club, which he turns up in. Uh, have you read that? Oh, my God. Yeah, actually, I have a note that, that I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure to actually recommend that to you when I found <laughs> out that you liked Jeffries. Did the person who recommended it give you any hints about his, his story arc in that? Um. Yes, somebody okay. said that he has a relationship with uh, a robot. It didn't. It, I think it is the Danger Room, isn't it? Yeah, it's Danger, who is yeah. the basically the physical form of the Danger Room, and it it is. It's Cy Spurrier, who's actually one of my favorite writers. He wrote X Men Legacy, which is the 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 second volume, which is the yes. story of David Haller Legion. Yeah, which actually became the premise for the FX show Legion. Yeah. And it's brilliant and he he's fantastic. And and that that little four issue miniseries, the the way that Jeffries courts danger is just it's it's hilarious but also incredibly sweet. And it's not necessarily and also the, very weird. Yes. Very, it's, very weird. It's like, in he, he no goes, way that he, he like goes and just like smooches that the the lady scientist, I can't remember her name, but he just like walks up and smooches her just to find out if yep, he's definitely not into humans anymore. He's just into, <laughs> into computers. It is definitely – it's not the Madison Jeffries of Alpha Flight. No, it's not. And and so I enjoyed – because Cy Spurs obviously got a, a particular way of, of writing, which I enjoy. But as a sort of Jeffries purist, <laughs> I was reading it going, oh, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. This, this, like they call him Spacey, don't they? So he spent too long in outer space, um, and that's not the same character who was digging ditches up until the point he created a transformer in a car park to fight off an evil robot. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same through line. Now, I, I'm, I'm enough of a fan of the character, and he had disappeared for so long that I was just excited that he was back, you know, in any yeah. form. But no, it, it is, it is not. It is not the Madison Jeffries we love from Alpha Flight, but it, it is it is incredibly well written. Um, it's got that Cy Spurrier, you know, tongue firmly planted in cheek, but you know, still pushing through all the way. And and that that yeah, that's great. And and you're right. I love that Byrne. In fact, I, I don't. If you're okay with it, like I, I'd kind of like to talk about his, the scope of what he did. Is that yeah? No, that's I, that's fine. Yeah, I just I as I was reading the issue. And thank you again, you know, for letting me come on. I was thinking about, oh, okay, we had, you know, we covered issue one, we're covering issue 28. So, you know, we're book ending the burn run. And so I, you know, I really started thinking about this, this book and this run and, you know, I kind of separating John Byrne, the man, you know, the, the, the curmudgeon who's yelling for people to get off his lawn to the John Byrne, the creator. And I, and I was like, okay, in this book, 
we have to give him credit. Like, like this team is made up of a, a, a man with, you know, achondroplasia. So we have a, an actual, a dwarf. Yeah. We have Aurora, who's maybe the first neurodiverse character in the history of comics, who's not treated as a, a as psycho. A yeah, as a bad. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's the first hero who's treated, and, you know, and the treatment of Aurora in the book. You know, we, there, there, you know, we can talk about that. But, but as far as her, you know, her struggle with dissociative identity disorder, it's it's not treated in any way humorously or making her a bad guy. Yeah. We, we have North Star, who's the first gay, you know, character yeah. in Marvel Comics history. And then I, I, I just I didn't hadn't realized this because I I'm very aware of of the deplorable history of America and our Native American population. And I, I, I've only recently really understood that Canada has a very similar relationship with their First Nation. Yeah. yeah. So the idea that you have two prominent First Nation characters on one team who are treated – I mean, Shaman is basically the heart of the team, and, and Talisman's this really intriguing sort of young up-and-comer. I mean, even that for the time is just shocking. And and then you know, and then to have the, the most high-profile character, Guardian, the one that people know most – have him killed and then replace him with his wife who has no superpowers yeah. and no, you know, costume. I just, I looked at and I was like, man, you have to get just the sheer scope of the things he did that no one else was doing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing. It's really, it's worthy of, of really a tip of the cap, you know, in, 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 in addition to the fact that I love the book, I love the stories and the characters. Yeah. Just his ability to build. One of the, I mean, one of the most diverse teams in in probably comics history is is amazing. No, absolutely, and I think, I mean, the world's moved on since a little bit, and so people are more aware. But I don't think it would have moved on. Uh, no, I'm, I was going to say it, it's better rhetorically, but I was going to say it wouldn't have moved on without him, which is it's probably untrue. But he had moved on first. Yeah. Well, even the North Star part, I mean, I know I was, I was really young. I mean, I was I, I was literally, I think, nine when I was reading Alpha Flight at yeah. this time. And I even picked up on some of the clues, some of the North Star pieces, you yeah. know, and I was, you know, he did such a good job that I was like, oh, OK, he's implying that this character's gay. And I do think in, in part, I mean, I don't think it's the whole reason, but one of the reasons that growing up, I I was very accepting of people that, you know, I, I happened to be heterosexual, but I was very accepting of people who happened to be homosexual. And, and I, you know, it, it was never a, a prejudice for me or never an issue. Mm. I think part of it maybe was the fact that from a very early age, I was, ex, you know, was exposed to a person who was openly gay, who was heroic and who I, you know, admired and who's, who I loved reading about. And so I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into no, it, but I, I just think it's really no, cool. No, absolutely. I think that's fair. I've got a similar thing because I was reading 2000 AD when I was about, what, 11, 12. And that was when they introduced the character Devlin War, who is a gay Catholic exorcist. Um, are you aware of the character? No, no, but I, I, I just, I mean, they added to my list of things to read because that sounds like oh, that's already no, a cool, that's already a cool pitch. <laughs> um, he, um, he was, um, pitched to 2000 AD as a cross between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Noel Coward. Oh, that, I, and I, I, he's I'm, incredible. And he, um, for a short time, he was the most popular character in 2000 AD. He, he's the only character who's, uh, who was more popular than Judge Dredd. Wow. Um, but yeah, he was, he was very openly gay. Um, there was no, <laughs> um, there was no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Subtlety at all mm -hmm. about 
Um, but yeah, that sort of thing did help. I mean, 2000 AD um, was uh, formed a lot of my my opinions about the world, about um, what is good and what is bad. Um, yeah, and and so I can see why something like Alpha Flight would would do that for somebody else. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those things you kind of don't realize until you're older. You know that that the collection of things that you read when you're young, how much they impact you, and and I you know bravo to him you know for and you know I've read interviews with him where he said just specifically about North Star, but also about Puck, where he's like you know hey there are there are gay people in the world, there are people in the world you know achondroplasia, why don't they get heroes too? Like yeah. why you know why can't they see themselves in these comics? And and I know later on you know Bill Mantlow is going to ascribe an origin to puck that is yeah. yeah i mean it's it sounds like a failed pitch for a disney movie and no, it's, it's very it's i mean as much as i like bill mantler's weirdness what he did with puck was was the wrong thing to do and john mm-hmm. Byrne in interviews has been very clear that um he wasn't happy with it well yeah because he always wanted puck to to represent that community you know and and, and actually uh, all communities who are sort of struggling with some sort of physical so issue and to say like, hey, look, you know, here's a guy who overcame this. Here's a guy who's heroic. You know, here's a here's somebody you can see in yourself. You know, you see yourself in this issue. And then, yeah, instead making him the uh, I, I don't even want to go into it. Um, you know, that yeah. story. And like I said, I, yeah, I love Mantlo, too. That's one of his misses. But um, but as a as a final issue, as a as a closing issue, it definitely feel definitely feels like he's running out the door. And what's you know, the irony of it is, you know, here his he's all excited to go write the Hulk. And and he comes on with a big splash, you know, because he's John Byrne. So of course it's a beautiful drawn book, but he only he's only on the Hulk for five issues. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. He comes on. He the first the, the big he does two big things. He comes on the book and he physically separates Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Okay. So so they're separate characters, which is interesting. Like he's like, oh, let's take a look at who they are if they're not the same. You know, the Hulk is just bestial. And he's in the desert, you know, he's in the southwest, where, actually where I live, and he's jumping around, you know, and, and Banner be, forms a group called the Hulkbusters to stop him. And then he has Betsy Ross, or Betty Ross, excuse me, and her father, Thunderbolt Ross. He has them return to the cast. He has Rick Jones return. I mean, these, yeah. these people haven't been part of the Hulk cast in four years. And he has Bruce marry Betty. And, I mean, he's really trying. And, and, and you know, I don't – I'm not super upset that he wasn't on the book for long. Because he's trying to recreate an era that, you know, is gone and is is yeah. gone for a reason. And but he apparently, according to him anyway, he had a huge conflict with Jim Flute, Jim Shooter, the editor in chief, and yeah. Shooter didn't like what he was doing. So you know, Byrne leaves in a huff, which is the only way I think he knows how to leave a book. <laughs> well, yeah. So we've got um, was it? Did you call it an Irish exit? Yeah, 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 yeah. An so Irish now we've got goodbye. the Byrne exit, which is. Yeah, the, you can either leave by saying goodbye to everybody, you can leave by waiting until no one's noticed you've gone, or you can just like properly make your feelings known about everyone <laughs> in that party and you yes. stomp out and slam the door. I don't I don't know if you know this. This is this was apocryphal for many years, but Byrne has confirmed it and other people have as well. When Jim Shooter and very not very long after this, about eight months after this issue, when Jim Shooter was fired from Marvel as editor in chief, John Byrne brought a bunch of Marvel staffers together and they had a party and they burned Jim Shooter in effigy. Like (laughs) I've always, I always believe I never believed it. I'd heard the story and I was like, no, no, no. And burn and, and no send. If you other people have come out and been like, no, no, they totally, totally made an ad hoc effigy of Jim Shooter. 
and burned it in in their backyard. Like it's <laughs> it's it's. I mean, I there have been some people I haven't enjoyed working with before. I've never gone to the effigy place. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's emotionally that's, dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, burn would leave in a huff, and actually, it starts it starts the trend that never ends for him because he's only on Hulk for five issues. DC comes and woos him. And he gets to relaunch Superman after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. But he only stays for 22 issues, leaves in a huff. He comes back. He takes over West Coast Avengers. He's only there for about 13 issues, leaves in a huff. And then literally there, he doesn't have a run on a book again. I think that's longer than maybe 15 issues. And that's kind of the story of the rest of his career, which is sad. But, you know, he's clearly not a very easy man to work with. No. Um yeah, he, as I've said, he's a man with um, strong opinions, and I don't always share his opinions, but um, yeah, there he is. Um, but, well, um, if rumours are true, he might be coming back to Marvel, so... Yeah, I've heard uh, that yeah. too, actually. Did, have you read his, um, well, I haven't read it, but the X-Men comic that he's done for fun? No, I haven't. I, I've heard, I just recently heard about it, so I haven't read it yet. Uh, is it, is, yeah. Does he have it posted online? Yes, it, is. it shouldn't be too difficult to find. Um, there's Facebook, uh, there's the, what they're called, the Burn Victims Facebook group. It was posted <laughs> posted there. So, um, yeah, and the, I mean, I haven't read the story. The artwork's fantastic. Yeah. Um, there was at least one instance in the comic where when he showed it to female friends to sense check, they suggested that he change it, <laughs> which was where... Um, at one point, Wolverine spanks Kitty Pride. Oh, yeah. Um, did he yeah. change it? <laughs> he, I think he did change it. Okay, yeah, good. Begrudgingly. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, at least like, he... this is what they because he's he's writing it as uh, what would the X Men do if it was still the 1970s? <laughs> and he's like, they'd still do that in the 70s. They're like that's not you can't. The, yeah, know, that's not the way it works. <laughs> there are a lot of things they would still do in the '70s that we don't necessarily need yeah. to revisit. I, I'm glad at least he has a, he has evolved to the point where he's showing his work to somebody to to sort of keep him in yeah. check a little bit. That's good. No, I'll have to read it. I, and I, I do know the, the little backstory that that doing that project prompted CB Sebaluski, who's the I think yeah. I'm probably butchering his last name. He's the new editor in chief at Marvel. Sebal, uh, no. Uh, Oh, yes, I've mispronounced his name on this podcast before. So uh, I, I think it's Sobolski. Sobolski. Okay, that sounds better. I, I was adding some syllables. I, he you know, prompted him to reach back out to Byrne to say, like, hey, we'd love to bring you back into the fold to do some work. I, yeah. I don't know what the extent of it's going to be, you know, if he's going to do I, – I, you know, I just can't imagine at, at his age, uh, you know, just physically, he could do a monthly book. So maybe a yeah. special here or there, or some covers. But I, that's great. I I would love to see his work on the, you know, in Marvel's pages again. Yeah, I mean, it's there's lots of people who don't want Burn back because of some of the comments he's made in the time that he's been away. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, Sobolski is interesting in that he's hated by both sides of the woke spectrum. <laughs> some some people think that because um, he obviously pretended to be Asian in order yeah. to give himself work, which is shocking. Um, and at the same time, he's also promoting um, too much diversity in comics, and he, and he it's his fault that uh, um, I don't know Iron Man's now a teenage black girl. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess if he's just gonna like 
Karen annoying everybody, he'll just bring John Byrne back into comics. That's, you know yeah. what? Yeah, more power too. Yeah, yeah. he's he, he's got a little bit of a troubling history, but I have to say, it's funny. I don't I don't know if it's because you know we're a lot of the the people who podcast about comics, we're all relatively of a similar age, right? And yeah. so so I, I in in that community, I I just we're all pretty pretty kind of cool. We just, we love comics and we love to talk about them yeah. and we like to talk to them about them to each other. And, and, and like, that's in my mind, that's the comic community that that's the people I encounter in podcasts, people I encounter in the shops, you know, I, I that's for me, like that's what comics is. And, and it's, I think it's just a generational dog whistle. I, I think I'm just too old for it. But whenever those, the, the, the spectrum you were talking about, whenever any side of it pops up, I always step back and I go, do you know in sixth grade I was bullied for collecting comics? Like, stop bitching <laughs> and just love the like love the medium. Like, stop attacking each other. Like, you know, like it's, yeah. I don't know. Every once in a while, I just want to step back and be like, hey, it's comics, and it's also just comics. Like, ju- you know, just relax. Yeah, I I don't get involved in in those arguments because there's always there's always shades to them. Uh, yeah, and, and especially Twitter is not the the place to try and describe gray. So. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter doesn't have a nuance button, unfortunately. Um, but I, yeah, I'm excited that Bird's coming back. I think they're also bringing Claremont back a little bit to do some stuff, even though I've heard that as well. Some more X Men, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think some like specials and some one shots, and yeah. and and they they brought him back recently. Um, Kitty Pride and Colossus were going to get married, and they did a wedding special, and they let you know Claremont write it. And it was nice to read it. I, you know, Claremont is a, a, a he's on the Mount Rushmore of comic writers, and he's one of the greats. Yeah. But he, you know, he he hasn't really evolved so much in his style. And as I'm reading the special, I'm literally thinking like, man, Chris, are you getting paid by the word? Because there are <laughs> there are more words on this page than are in any 10 comics combined in 2018. So yeah. so it was it was fun to kind of reminisce, but it was also funny to read and go like, oh, we don't we don't do that anymore. Like we No, but re- I mean, I do miss that. So for this podcast, we reviewed uh, an issue of Champions, and I couldn't like and it's the first like really really new comic I've read in a long like first time I've read a comic as it's come out for a long time, and um, I'd like the comic, but my main takeaway from it was that it was a quarter of a comic. Yeah. Um, in terms of how much happened in it, so uh, yeah, I, I do sort of miss that Claremont thing, and I'll tell you what, as someone who's started trying to write their own comics and write dialogue and text for comics in a meaningful way. It's genuinely difficult to fit as many words into a comic as Claremont does. Um, just to try and work out the logistics of where they're going to go in the page, you just just must write a novel and expect someone to put pictures alongside it. <laughs> it's um, it's I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we strayed quite a long way. It's been fun, but um, we strayed, <laughs> we strayed Sorry about quite that. a long way off Alpha Flight. Um, no, that's fine. Um, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to mention before we go? Because I am sat on the opposite end of a table to my daughter, and she has given me a number of looks, which suggests that maybe she's not happy with me talking for as long as I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, my my podcasting partner, Greg Rougeau, we talk about our kids being podcast orphans um, <laughs> whenever we're, we're recording. No, no, no. This has been great. Um, you know, thank you again for letting me be on for episode one, and, and now to bookend the end of Burn and. And, you know, I, just, I love the show. I I have to tell you, um, I just I, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I was a little freaked out when you told me when we were talking initially and, and you were like, oh, no, I'm doing the show out of order. Like my first episode's going to be like <laughs> issue five and then my second episode's going to be like issue one of six. And and I was like, 
oh my God, like I, okay, that's an interesting tack. I'm curious to see how that looks. And I have so enjoyed it that it has, it has taken my inner Puritan who's like, no, you must do everything <laughs> chronologically. And it's been like, well, Garrett's not. So like I, you know, so I, I have, I have stolen a little bit of your courage and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to start breaking some format because it really works for alpha pod flight. And I, you know, I think I can, I think if he has the guts to do it, I can do it too. So I know that's the dumbest thing ever that somebody's probably said to you, but it was just no. really funny. I, I was, I was really impressed by the, your willingness to be like, no, screw it. I'm going to do it the way I want. That's fun for me. And I'm like, oh, I need to have more of that in my life. So, so I appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's a few things. I mean, if you talk about breaking format, that what you've described there is the least of what I've done. <laughs> um, which I think you know a little bit of. Um, yes. And I think by the time this ep- this episode comes out, um, more will have become apparent. Because as much as I love talking about Alpha Flight, I do get bored of repeating myself, and so I've started inventing ways to make this <laughs> process more interesting <laughs> for me. So um, yeah, um, I imagine I'll be playing around with format a little bit more while still maintaining the level of integrity around talking about alpha flight just no integrity around anything else <laughs> that's, i think it's a, a perfectly fine way to run a show <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much for coming on. it's been a genuine pleasure um it's always really interesting to have uh, someone who's been around from the start on um and uh, have someone who knows so much about this stuff so thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate your time and if anybody wanted to find you or your podcast on the internet, where could they do that? Uh, so I'm on Twitter. That's uh, Sean42AZ, not particularly imaginative. Uh, I, I think I said earlier, I'm the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. It's Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond, and then the Nerdy Dad podcast network. So, I, I, you know, if, if people want to check out the shows, that's great. Okay, um, cool. And if anybody wants to find me on the internet, I am Gareth A. Hopkins. Um, <laughs> Sorry, there's some discussion going on in the, in the room. Are your daughters making fun of you? Because that's what my daughter uh, does. No, no, not at all. Um, we're having <laughs> furniture inspections. I'm Gareth A. Hopkins. Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm Gerthink, G-R-T-H-I-N-K. Um, uh, that's my website, www.gerthink.com. Uh, if anybody would like to buy any of my comics, they can go to gerthink.bigcartel.com. Um, my um, abstract autobio novel Petricor will be out in 2019 and uh, that's all I can remember to plug for the moment Uh, yeah thank you very much uh, everybody who's been listening Um, uh, there is a a small number of people out there but um, I really appreciate every single one of you even though I can't tell you personally I'm now getting very sceptical looks from my wife. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for uh, listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Alpha Monthly. Thank you. Goodbye.